This is the national station broadcasting this evening's news. Remarkable story from Country Village. The police and doctors are investigating an astonishing story told this afternoon by the people of the village of Iping. It appears that a mysterious disease has broken out infecting a large number of the inhabitants. It takes the form of a delusion that an invisible man is living among them. Several people have been seriously injured, probably through fighting among themselves and their belief that their opponent is an invisible man. The whole village is in a state of panic and everyone... And everyone deserves the fate that's coming to them. Panic, death, things worse than death. Hello, creeps. I bid you welcome back to the Eldritch Review Podcast. I am Dr. Jack Al Creeper. The Eldritch Review is the podcast dedicated to reviewing and discussing horror movies from anywhere in the 1920s to the 1940s and beyond. Today, I would just like to take a moment to reflect. As of last Monday, November 16th, 2020, the Eldritch Review has officially been on the airwaves for a month. The last 30 days of being established have truly been the most amazing and the most humbling. Presently, The Eldritch Review now has 291 total plays, 29 calculated listeners, and 35 new and unique audience members, which has completely surpassed my November goal and is on perfect track to smash my December goal as well. Along with putting out new episodes weekly, The Eldritch Review has also had the opportunity to be supported and recognized by the Universal Monsters Universe blog and their creators and their fans, plus several other content creators within the Universal Monsters realm and their fans and supporters as well. It truly has been such an unbelievable month and I am so over the moon and grateful for all of it. I want to say a huge thank you to my mom for getting me into horror, especially universal horror, my siblings Drew and Delilah for editing my episodes, watching these movies with me and all of their support, my dear friend Yana for being one of my most favorite people in the whole world, for always standing in my corner and being the best person. Yana was the one who gave me the name Eldritch Review for the podcast and the haunted pseudonym Dr. Jack Al Creeper. To the love of my life and my amazing partner Alex for supporting me in each and every pursuit I embark on, he knows more than anybody how obsessed with horror I truly am, and not only does he love it, he completely embraces it and encourages me to further my love every single day. He is always the first to hear anything before its official publication. Whether it's the actual episode, the episode's bio, or just a random idea I had, he is always the first one to know. I love you, baby. To my two featured guests and new good friends, Stephen Biscotti and Lindley Key of the Universal Monsters Universe, for not only guesting on the show, but for their huge love and support for me always. Thank you for giving me such a huge platform on the Universal Monsters Universe and giving me the chance to expand as much as possible. Finally, thank you to Brian of the Instagram uni.monsters for always featuring me on your Instagram stories and always being such a loyal supporter. P.S. I loved your takeover on the UMU this week. This has truly been the most incredible month and debut I could have ever experienced, and to say I'm humbled may be the biggest understatement. Here's to the future, because let's face it, this creeper isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Now, allow me to open the curtain, and let's start the show. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the movie, and more specifically, the creep that is tied for first on my most favorite list. 
Next to Dracula, this is a movie that I can watch time and time again and will never get sick of. Plus, this character is one that I will always and forever be drawn to. Universal's 1933 classic, The Invisible Man, starring Claude Rains as the Invisible One. I was probably 17 years old when I first saw The Invisible Man. Prior to that, I had always seen him on Universal Monster Merchandise and advertising, but I had no idea who he was. Once I learned his name, the ideal of an invisible man really intrigued me, and I had to watch the movie. Since then, I've really loved the mysticism that came with the movie, and it's truly the character of Jack Griffin that always makes me want to watch the movie time and time again. As I mentioned, The Invisible Man is now tied with Dracula for my very most favorite movie and most favorite monster of all time. According to the synopsis on Rotten Tomatoes, The Invisible Man 1933 tells the story of Dr. Jack Griffin. While researching a new drug, he stumbles on a potion that can make him invisible. When he reveals his new ability to his old mentor and his fiancée, it's clear that a side effect of the potion is insanity. Jack goes on a violent rampage and the police struggle to hunt him down, unable to see their target. While his mentor and his former partner desperately try to devise a plan to capture him and bring him back. As always here on the Aldrich Review, I review this movie with pros, cons, and burning questions. So, let's start off with the pros. Number 1. Claude Rains was masked and hidden until the very end. Yes, everyone who has seen this movie knows and remembers how Claude stayed in his invisible disguise for the better majority of the movie until the very end when he was finally revealed. That's precisely why I picked this as one of my pros. When you watch other Universal movies, minus maybe Frankenstein and the Wolfman, you'll know and you'll see that the monsters are usually very identifiable and you are able to see the actor who played them right away, and there is no questions who played who or who played what. However, because Jack Griffin was invisible and had to disguise himself from revealing his true nature, no one has any idea who's behind the mask, so to speak, and what the antagonist may look like. So that really makes for such a fascinating story and fascinating mystery. Something Universal really did not do much back then, and when this movie came out, something they had never done before. I really like this because when you have such a masked character, it's like a superhero. You don't know who's behind the mask. You don't know their true intention. You know, you know, like a superhero is always friendly, is always trying to save the day. And we know that Jack Griffin is insane because of the side effects of the potion. But what's really exciting to wonder and also kind of creepy is like, who's behind the mask? What do they look like? Are they terrifying? I love that. Number two, this movie is super sinister. Apart from maybe Frankenstein, there was no other universal monster or universal movie that was as dark as this movie was. With actual murder, violence, destruction, insanity, and so many other thematic elements, this was definitely a different direction for Universal, and I commend them for it. This was back in the 1930s, of course, well before any slasher movies or any of our well-known, well-recognized movies were released. So this certainly was monumental for the time period, where most of the Universal Monster movies relied on their monsters and creatures to terrify the audiences, this movie relied on both the monster and the themes. Sure, Frankenstein throwing little Maria in the river was super unsettling and shocking, but what about the train derailment and unveiling of a completely invisible monster and threat? Not to show any bias, but this is completely why I love this movie the way I do, because holy cow, the complexity is no joke. Number three, the invisibility effects. How incredible and groundbreaking it was for that time period. Now this is one of my most favorite features of this whole movie and it's absolutely incredible. 
Let me ask you guys this question. In the 1930s, with no CGI or any of the movie-making tools the way we have now, how was director James Whale able to take his invisible villain and turn him completely invisible? Well, it started off with filming the scenes in completely different exposures, where one frame featured Claude Rains wearing all black and the other with the set draped completely in black velvet. James Whale and producers then layered four film images into one complete composite image and thus the man became invisible. The reason why I super love this fact and why I had to make this a pro is because it's just so crazy to see how they achieved this effect and learn of how they made it all possible despite having very limited and ranging equipment like they have now. Like I mentioned in my last point, I really think that this movie was very well ahead of its time as far as themes, effects, and decisions that were made. And that is truly what makes it one of my most favorite movies of all time. Number four is sci-fi horror genre. This is really interesting. Whenever you look at the IMDb and Google results for The Invisible Man, they label this film not just as horror or as sci-fi, but as sci-fi horror. Now, when you watch the movie, you can most certainly see and feel the themes of sci-fi in that Jack Griffin was literally a scientist by trade who turned himself invisible, but there is also horror in that there is an invisible man, or to put it scarier, an unseen threat coming after you. Before The Invisible Man, I believe the only other universal monster movie that really explored with and dealt with scientific discovery is naturally Frankenstein. But even before Frankenstein, there really was no movie that showed the scarier and stereotypical mad scientist, until we had these two which really set the score later on. I believe it was because of these two well-loved classics that movies such as Eraserhead were sure to follow. And I'll be honest, this is precisely why I love Universal Horror so much. Among several reasons, Universal has always been sort of the pioneer in horror and cinema. It was these movies that really defined the era and showed how it's really done. You want to make a monster? Watch Frankenstein. You want to learn of a real estate client that's in for more than just property? Watch Dracula and so on and so forth. Number five is labeling Claude Rains as the invisible one on opening credits. One thing I find so striking is definitely how Claude Rains received the label of the invisible one in the opening credits. Even though you know you're watching The Invisible Man and you know that it's him, I guess for me it's really exciting because it's almost like the question mark in place of Boris Karloff's name in Frankenstein. It truly sets the tone and makes everything so much scarier and if not scarier, definitely more climactic. On a more comedic note, I wonder if this is a James Whale move that he does only in his monster movies because he knows the audience members watching the film will be reading the opening credits, and so maybe he knew that it would scare them, startle them, and truly start the feelings of their uncertainties right away. It's a pretty smart and pretty clever move if you ask me. And with these next couple of points, what better way for us to segment into the very next point? Number six is James Whale. Even though this was only his second major film ever made behind Frankenstein and previous to Bride of Frankenstein and The Old Dark House, there is no denying the strength and the excellency that James Whale gave to Hollywood and cinema. All of the horror movies he directed are not only spooky, but they completely put a stamp on the horror genre as we know it, using scenes, themes, and different elements that were either not seen, not thought of, not used, or all of the above. 
On a more personal interest, I really love all of his movies because they really do feel so sinister and so striking that you can just sense the evil and the suspense that fills in your spirit when you watch the movie. Unfortunately, James Whale did not live very long and did not continue in his realm and expertise of horror after he made The Bride of Frankenstein. But like Carl Freund and Todd Browning and countless others, he definitely deserves recognition for all that he did. Moving along to my next and final pro for this masterpiece of a film, and of course, how could I ever forget the true star of the show? Number seven is Claude Rains. Oh, Claude Rains, you are such a perfect creep. You are so maniacal and so talented in each and every role you play. Whether it's Build Thy House, The Invisible Man, or Casablanca, there is truly no one like you and there truly never will be. I want to say that for the record, Universal does such an incredible casting job and always nails the perfect actor or actress to play the roles they have available and it's really beautiful to see. There is a reason why Universal is so great and so coveted and it's for reasons precisely as this. Back to you Claude. I truly love everything about you. Not only are you debonair and completely established, but you really bring it with every character and every role you play and I can feel your energy from the screen no matter what movie I'm watching. What I really love is versatile actors, actresses, filmmakers, etc. who, sure, they may be so good at one particular genre of film or another trade, but once they switch to things other than their quote genre of choice, they can still kill it and that's how you know you've nailed your celebrity. It's almost like we give them a thousand piece puzzle and they complete it not only quickly but so beautifully that you are left flabbergasted for days, weeks, months, or even years. Claude Rains definitely fits into that category if you ask me. From sci-fi sinister horror in The Invisible Man to classy noir attitude in Casablanca, it truly proves that he's not just a monster, though we do love him a little bit more that way, let's be honest. Rest in peace, Mr. Reigns. I would love for you to come visit me anytime. Number eight, for a special bonus fact, the book versus the movie. I know you're probably over this particular section when I do the Eldritch Review, since I've done it a lot lately with a lot of different movies. Back then, all of the horror movies we love that we've been reviewing so far on the Eldritch Review do come from classic novels that helped inspire the movie. So, as promised, here are four differences from H.G. Wells' 1897 novel to James Whale's 1933 Universal Adaptation. These differences were found and are a product of IMDb, Internet Movie Database. Number one, the novel takes place in the 1890s while the film takes place in 1933. Number two, in the novel, Jack Griffin remains almost a completely mysterious person with no fiancé or friends. But in the film, he is engaged to a woman and has the support of her father and his associate. Number three, in the novel, Jack Griffin is already insane before he makes himself invisible. In the film, it's the invisibility drug that causes his madness and insanity. And finally, and probably most importantly, number four, in the novel, Kemp lives, but in the film, Griffin kills him. For the most part, critics, readers, and movie viewers all collectively agree that The Invisible Man is mostly true to its origin. More than any other universal monster who has a novel based off of them, such as Dracula or Frankenstein. The main reason why I cover this is so those who have only read or seen can understand, and for those who have done both can compare much easier. I have yet to read the novel of The Invisible Man, but it's most certainly on my list. 
Now, normally I'd move on to my cons, but to be fully honest, I have no cons for this movie whatsoever. I think that this movie was done to perfection, and I love the story, the book-to-movie accuracy, the sinister themes, and of course, the late but great Claude Rains. So with that being said, let's move on forward to the burning questions that I have for this movie. I have three that I'd like to share with you guys. So let's begin. Number one, where did the movie take place? Judging by accents and judging by the way that villagers and people carried themselves, it really feels like it could be England or somewhere in the UK, but I'm not sure specifically. Maybe they mentioned that and I missed it, but I'd love to hear from you guys. Where did this movie take place? Number two, can Invisible Griffin still see normally even though we can't see him? Now I know that probably sounds like a weird, like silly question, but I honestly wonder that. If we can't see him, does he still, you know, feel like a human, you know, with his arms and his legs and all of his body parts, like he still feels like a human the way that we carry ourselves on the daily, but obviously we can't see him. And what I also wonder is, can he see himself in the mirror? even though we can't. It, there's so many questions about that. And finally, number three, what was the inspiration for Claude Rain's most infamous laugh when he revealed himself? Now we know what that later inspired, I'll cover that in a few seconds here, but he didn't really have a lot of muses back then, so I'm sure when he read that part of the book that said he had to laugh a maniacal laugh, I wonder where did he develop this insane, crazy, well-recognized, well-loved laugh that we all know and love to this day. It's such a timeless laugh. It's such a pivotal part to the movie. It's frankly why I'm so obsessed with the movie. And I just want to know, where did he get that from? If he developed this all by himself, that's impressive. All I'm saying. So I've covered the pros. I've covered the burning questions. I left out the cons because I didn't have any. So, let's move on to the interesting facts that I found. These facts are all courtesy of IMDB, Internet Movie Database. Number one, in this movie, The Invisible Man is a villain. The TV series The Invisible Man that came out in 2000 presented him in a sympathetic, humorous light. Hmm, don't know how I feel about that one. Number two, during the scenes with Una O'Connor, the hysterical pub landlady, James Whale and the rest of the cast members and crew struggled to keep their laughter contained as they all adored O'Connor's humor. Wow, that makes one of us because I couldn't stand this lady and maybe that was like her intention, maybe that was her point, maybe that was part of her comedy, but oh my god, every time I watch this movie I'm like, this lady, man. But hey, you know, if if an actor or an actress does that good of a job where they really make you hate or love their character because of how they're portraying it, that's good acting. So as much as I hate it, I give her some applause because good job. You made us hate you. <laughs> Number three, the Invisible Man and the Creature from the Black Lagoon are the only universal monsters that were never used later by Hammer Studios. Unlike Dracula... Dr. Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, and the Mummy. Now, Hammer, if you guys don't know what that is, Hammer Studios is basically the UK equivalent to Universal. So obviously, you know, Universal is Los Angeles-based. It's based here in the United States. But Hammer Studios is in the UK. So that encompasses Sir Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, 
all the guys over there it's their interpretation of these movies if you haven't seen hammer studios adaptations of these movies definitely give them a watch that's where we get sir christopher lee's dracula from just saying now here's an interesting fact for you and this is also where the facts will start to get a little bit more interesting because i'll be honest creeps i found a lot of really cool facts about this movie that i can't wait to share with you so let's go back number four claude rain's performance in this film inspired mark hamill's portrayal of the joker now that's a pretty well-known fact i feel like a lot of monster fans know that one but i still think that that's super cool because mark hamill as the joker is the most craziest and the most coolest thing that i've ever seen i would have never imagined luke skywalker being the joker but the fact that he has and he's done it in the animated series and he did it in all of the batman like arkham video games he really did such an incredible job so to find out that he used Claude Rains and the Invisible Man as his inspiration, I have so much more respect for him. I always had a deep love for him because, you know, he was Luke Skywalker, but that's still pretty cool to know. Number six, going off of that, along with Boris Karloff, Dr. Frankenstein, Colin Clive, was also a major consideration for James Whale. Reports say Colin Clive was tempted, but preferred to take his planned vacation back to England instead. This is interesting. Number seven, the total body count for this movie is 122. There are four murders depicted directly on screen, 18 search party members off screen, and the derailment of a train, which results in 100 deaths. In total, Dr. Jack Griffin kills 122 people before he is killed, making him one of the most bloodthirsty villains in all of the old Universal Pictures horror films told you guys this movie was sinister. Number 8, Gloria Stewart did not enjoy working opposite of Claude Rains. During filming, when they had scenes together, she claimed her leading man, Claude Rains, kept backing her into the scenery and hampering her chances to perform. James Whale had to keep everything on an even keel by reminding Claude Rains that he had to share the scenes with his leading lady. That's interesting. Now, listen to these. I saved these best two for last, and these are really exciting. Listen to this. Number nine, the first time Claude Rain's daughter ever saw her father in a movie was 1950, when he took her to a showing of The Invisible Man in a small Pennsylvania movie theater. While this film was playing, Claude Rain's was telling his daughter all about how the movie was made, and the other patrons, instead of getting impatient and unhappy, they stopped watching the movie and instead listening to Claude Rain's anecdotes about the movie. Holy crap, you guys. Can you imagine being in the 1950s? Claude Rain's is there with his daughter, which, hey, that's shocking enough for me. But he's there, and not only is he there, but he's telling all about how this movie was made, which actors are not supposed to do that but they did that oh my god i would give anything to go back to that theater and hear the exact same anecdotes because i would just i'd be in awe the whole time like my mouth would be agape and i'd just be like uh-huh uh-huh and then what and then what did they do like i would be so fascinating oh my god this makes me happy going off of what i just said number 10 on the dvd short documentary claude rain's daughter tells the story of how her father took her to see the movie she also recounts that it was bitterly cold when they went and his face was completely covered by a hat and scarf when he spoke to ask for the tickets the attendant immediately recognized his voice and demanded that they let him in for free claude was upset about this motion because he actually wanted to pay full price 
So that concludes today's episode of The Invisible Man 1933. I hope you have enjoyed listening as I've enjoyed reviewing it for you. Remember to follow The Eldritch Review on Facebook, The Eldritch Review, or on Instagram, at The Eldritch Review. We also have official merchandise available on Spreadshirt, designed by Heartless Designs, and as of today, Wednesday, November 25th, 2020, we also have new releases featuring three of our most favorite movie monsters of all time, Dracula, Frankenstein's Monster, and The Invisible Man, created by Austin Webb. Austin is a great friend and a very loyal supporter here on the Eldritch Review. More designs and monsters will be released soon, but in the meantime, be sure to check out these on Spreadshirt with special Black Friday deals, and check the Eldritch Review's Instagram bio for shopping links. Also, to all of my creeps listening who are followers and fans of the UMU, the Universal Monsters Universe, this weekend, the Eldritch Review will be featured on another of their Instagram live streams. Details and timing are yet to be determined, so make sure you follow UMU and The Eldritch Review on social media for more information. Next week's episode will feature Universal's frighteningly beautiful 1935 classic, The Bride of Frankenstein, starring Elsa Lanchester as the bride and reprising their roles from four years before, Boris Karloff as the monster and Colin Clive as Dr. Frankenstein. I am expecting a guest, but I have not yet received confirmation, so be sure to check social media for the updates. I cannot wait for that episode and to talk to you guys again. So, until then, have a very filling and very terrifying Thanksgiving, and be safe. Make right choices. Until next week. Mm -hmm.